You're listening to the Seaworthy Podcast, Episode 8, Building Bots as a Business. Seaworthy is a podcast about building successful software. Today we're talking about building bots and co-working with Jamie Wright of Tatsu. Hey everybody, Andrew Verbencore here. I'm joined by Jamie Wright, entrepreneur and software and bot developer from Toledo, Ohio. Jamie, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Good, thanks Andrew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you give us a little background on, on who you are and what you do? Sure, yeah. Um, I tell people I'm a professional nerd, which <laughs> um, basically means I'm just uh, mostly a software developer. I've been developing software for, I don't know, 15, oh geez, 20 years probably now, uh, professionally. Mm-hmm. And um, I run a software um, consultancy, I'm an independent. Uh, it's called Brilliant Fantastic, where I write mostly web web dev, uh, programs for clients, and then I also have a product. Uh, I kind of split my time between both of those, uh, which is a bot for Slack, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit. but. Uh, that's that's pretty much how I split my time, about fifty fifty right now. So yeah, so so you've been in in um, in the tech industry for about twenty. How did you get started into the tech industry and into programming and uh, and what was like your first your first foot in the door? High school, uh, really. Actually, it started with my cousin. My cousin is a little older than me, and he would come over and write some basic programs on our Windows computer. I don't remember what we had at the time, but. Um, and I thought that was really cool. And then in high school, I took some uh, software classes. They like just started offering them. And I just liked the idea of like creating stuff, like creating stuff that's not there. Mm-hmm. And it kind of felt like a little superpower. And then I didn't know what I was going to do in college. Uh, so I just said, hey, I'm going to do computer science. And I ended up falling in love with it. So that's pretty much how I got started. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, I think that's, that's how a lot of people kind of stumble into it or I think... Yeah, we lost a lot of a lot of good souls too during uh, during college. I remember, like a lot of as soon as we started talking about pointers or something, there's a lot of people that bailed. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, the good the good people stuck with it. Right. Um, so you mentioned your bot. Let's uh, let's talk about that. But but before we talk about your bot, um, what is a bot and and how did they get started? Yeah, so a, ch- a chatbot is simply um, a software program that simulates a conversation with a human. Uh, and they go back as far as, it's not a new concept. Like, they go back as far as, like, 1965 mm-hmm. uh, with um, Eliza, which is kind of considered the first uh, chatbot, which was a bot that simulated a psychotherapist, and you would give it your symptoms, and it would tell you uh, what it thought um, your diagnosis was. Hmm. And it was based on work from Alan Turing, which is from the 1950s. Right. Um, And then, you know, they continued. Uh, Another popular one was in the 2000s with um, AOL uh, Messenger and MSN Messenger. There's a bot called Smarter Child. I remember that. (laughs) Smarter Child, yeah. Yeah, which which did, like, the things that Siri and all that stuff does now. You you could ask for the weather. You could ask for the news. and that was uh, by a company called Active Buddy, who also did a bot for Radiohead. 
I don't know hmm. if you ever, yeah, Radiohead used to have a bot on their homepage called um, the Googly Monster, Googly, I forgot the name of it, but it hmm. is Googly something. Um, and it would tell you, you know, tour dates and, and things like that. Uh, yeah, that's kind of cool. Specs about Radiohead, yeah. And, and then, of course, with the advent of Slack, um, and even with Campfire um, from 37 Signals, you know, in 2006, um, they've kind of made a comeback in recent years, especially with Slack. So they've been a long, around for a while. Um, they're just now easier to build. Uh, but we're still in the early days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that background. Um, so what? I mean, what does the market look like now for bots? What's what's the landscape? What's possible? You mentioned it's easier to build. I'm assuming people are are taking on bigger challenges, but it's it's a lot like um, the App Store from 2007-2008, where everybody's getting in on it. Um, the opportunity is high. Uh, but it's starting to get saturated a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you're starting to see a lot of the, the fart apps, you know, of, of the bots um, get created and then dumped. Um, but there are, you know, big companies are investing a lot of money, Google and Amazon and Apple, and they're all investing um, money in kind of AI and, and chatbot um, infrastructure. You know, Apple has their iMessage that they're opening up. Right. Um, Google just bought API AI, which is a conversational um, bot uh, studio type of type of deal. So there's a lot of money. Uh, the times are still the technology is still relatively dumb, to be honest. Um, so that's why I say we're in the early days, um, but it, it's only going to get better. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, bots paired with the AI and like the voice interfaces, right. text interfaces. Is that a lot of the same infrastructure behind it on, on like how programs are written or like the decision making process for bots? Yeah, some are better than others, obviously, but there's a lot of like these conversational um, uh, NLP, so natural language processing. Mm hmm. Um, as a service, so you can give it a phrase and it will tell you um, what your intent was, uh, what are the things you're acting on. So you could pass it things like, what is the weather? Mm -hmm. And it will tell you back, uh, it'll tell you that your intent is that you're checking the weather. And um, you may say, what is the weather in Toledo? And it'll tell you, you know, you're trying to check the weather and you're trying to check it in Toledo. So a lot of the hard work in terms of like, trying to figure out what people are saying is kind of done for you. And then mm -hmm. it's up to your bot to determine um, what the user can do next, what, to, what feedback, what sort of feedback to give them. Um, so it's, it's kind of a level playing ground in that, in that sense. But there is a lot of, you know, obviously Google is spending a lot of money with uh, their service and uh, Apple's spending a lot of money on, you know, Siri and making that smarter. Mm -hmm. Where does, um, I know a few people that have the Amazon Echo. Um, that's, I mean, along the same lines, I think they're, and maybe I'm wrong, they were opening up their API to developers soon. Yeah, it's, it's open. It's, it's open. open. They actually have a fund as well. There's an Amazon Alexa fund. I think it's $100 million. They're, they're um, investing in, in, um, in 
applications that are built on top of their Echo platform. Right. And so that's, like you said, a lot of the hard lifting has already been done in, you know, detecting intent, what the user is trying to do, uh, maybe contextual information. But then I think the biggest thing, the biggest gap is, you know, like any software, right? So many things have been streamlined. Um, it's about deciding what those workflows are and what those end outcomes that people actually want to create are. And I think that's where, you know, bot design kind of, that's how you separate your bot from someone else's bot is, does this really fit a need? And then exactly. how does, does that this, work? Exactly. Does this save the user time? Um, or is it just a, is it just a uh, inconvenience? Um, that's that's really where you see the the popular bots versus the not popular bots is is this actually helping people solve a problem yeah and i think yeah that's common in software um yeah as i mentioned yeah. it's there's so many you know there's ui kits out there now there's i mean plug and play templates that you can do but is this is this solving the right problem is this communicating right is this telling the right story you know relative to the user and i think that's huge Right. Um, so when did you first get into bots? Um, well, I've been always into the idea of bots, um, probably from when Smarter Child was around. I mm -hmm. remember that specifically. Um, I started building bots around uh, campfire days. There was a, uh, there's a software um, layer that sat on top of the campfire API. Um, that I was uh, uh, building, building some little small integrations with things like you know build statuses and trying to help with some of the DevOpsy stuff, um, and you know I always kind of viewed this. Um, I'm always interested in saving time. Mm -hmm. Like time is my number one thing that I try to focus on, on uh, streamlining in things that I build and build for myself. And so I always had this idea and love for like assistance and um, the ability to have a virtual assistant. Right. And there's a there's a package that um, I'm sorry, an application that Twitter bought, and the name's escaping me. But oh, it was Sandy. It was IWantSandy.com, <laughs> and I love that idea. And basically, Sandy was a, a bot that sat as a text message that you could have it do things like remember things and uh, give you calendar information and things like that. So I've always been infatuated with, with that sort of, um, those, those ideas of having kind of this assistant that sits out in the internet somewhere and bots are kind of the best way to get at that, right. that assistant. So when did you start um, developing for bots? Was I guess we can talk about, yeah, Tatsu. Um, is, that, yes. is that your first bot? Is it? That's that's my first bot that I brought out into the wild. That gotcha. I, that I um, had it be, be, um, do stuff for 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 um, things outside my realm. So uh, Tetsu came about. I was working. Um, well, actually, it goes back a little farther. Um, so what Tetsu? Let me explain what Tetsu is first. Um, Tetsu yeah. is a is a a bot that that's uh, just for Slack right now. That. Um, allows your team to do stand-up meetings uh, without physically getting up off out of your computer and going to a physical space and um, interrupting your day. Uh, so I, would, I was involved with a lot of different um, teams and clients, and we would have these stand-up meetings. And a stand-up meeting 
Um, it's a really good, productive meeting, in my opinion. It's mm -hmm. a meeting that you usually have at the beginning of the day that you say what you did, what you're planning on doing, and if there's anything standing in your way. And what that does is it kind of clears the plate, the slate for your whole team on uh, removing blockers and letting them get on with their day. Mm -hmm. It's and really big in, in Agile and Scrum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So a stand-up meeting uh, allows you to kind of clear the slate um, with your team, um, and your team doesn't have to come back during that day to interrupt you to see what you're working on or, or uh, what you're planning on doing or if, there's any, or if they're blocking you in any way. So it's a really good productive meeting. I'm, I hate meetings, but I really, really like the stand-up meetings. The problem was that we would have to get up at some certain time from whatever we're doing and stand around a circle and everybody would say, uh, answer those three questions. Mm -hmm. And so you could be in the flow and, and, and developing or designing and then at 9 a.m. you'd have to get up and go to this meeting. So when Slack came around, uh, even with Campfire, I was kind of thinking, but it, there really was no way to do it with, with Campfire. Um, so I, I, I immediately thought of doing a stand-up bot. And this is before, when Slack first came out, they didn't have the idea of bots. They, they basically had um, where the bot was not a user. They basically had incoming and outgoing webhooks. Mm -hmm. So you could send stuff to Slack and you could get stuff out of Slack. And that's really where Tatsu was born, was with that architecture um, before there were bots. And uh, I built it uh, internally at first with um, a client that I was working with. And we, we used it, um, we loved it. And then that's kind of when I had the idea to just polish it up a bit and uh, release it as, a, as an application. Yeah, and it's, you know, just kind of speak to like the use case. It's been super useful for us because a lot of times, even in like standups, if you're doing, you know, you're in a physical location with your team or even if you're remote, um, it's usually about something that exists somewhere else. So like in a development team like ours, um, you know, we're, it's PRs, it's, yep, I'm blocked on this. It's a link to um, something specific. And so like we use Tatsu in, you know, our Slack channel and, you know, it just kind of helps like along that flow, like interruptions is one thing, but then also here's the information that someone needs to unblock you right yes um, um, yeah uh, it's been uh, it's it's been doing really well um, in this in the slack app store so I'm pretty happy with it. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from people that's actually saving time and actually doing good so yeah and so we kind of talked about you had the idea because of it was you know kind of part of this whole agile scrum process of doing you know daily stand-ups and and touch points making sure that the ball's moving forward on whatever you have on your plate today or um, in the next day or so uh, was there any you mentioned you were building it with a team is that part of the validation process you guys used it internally um, first or was there any type of validation or interviews or things you did kind of before building it Nope, that was it. That was uh, we just built it for ourselves, and uh, built it the way that uh, we wanted to see it being used, and mm -hmm. it was it was great. Yeah, well, I think yeah to kind of you know talk to that too is one thing we look for in software is a you know a process or a workflow, and you know with it being something that was physical before, it seems like you kind of had all the recipes for validation in order to just make it into something and, and see like, is this technology going to um, uphold the same process as this, you know, typically physical or video based um, 
workflow, which is, you know, the daily standups. Yeah, there was a lot of consideration with flow and how, uh, what the user can do at any given point. And there's a mm -hmm. lot of design issues around some of that stuff. So there was a lot of thought into that, but yeah, we already had the idea of what, what, what the thing should do because uh, we've done it. Right, what the main outcome was, and that was to, yeah, be able to give, you know, a touch point on where you're at, let people know if they're, if you're blocked and what they can do about it. That makes sense. Um, so how did the launch go? I think, um, when did you, was it a year ago, I believe, or maybe just slightly longer? Yeah, it was, uh, it was April of 15. So yeah, about a year and a half ago now. Oh, uh, the launch was awesome. So it's really a lot easier to launch stuff nowadays with Product Hunt. Mm -hmm. So we were we actually hunted on we were on Product Hunt before we were ready to launch, um, and that that blew. It was probably two weeks before it was on Product Hunt again. Product Hunt actually took us down because we were in beta. Right. And at that time, they didn't allow beta beta things on there. Um, but the launch went really, really well. Um, our goal was to get on the email. Uh, you know, if you get a, a certain number of, or how high you are on that day's uh, list of, of hunts, uh, you get on the email, and the email is where it kind of it blows up. So we, we got a big spike of users in the beginning, uh, and then since then, it's just been word of mouth. Um, mm -hmm. Word of mouth, and then the Slack app store came out in December of that year. So that was another great, um, a great thing for, for, for Tatsu. Uh, although we did have a little stumbling block getting into the, the app store. But, uh, you know, that could have been better, but the, the app store has kind of continuously brought us traffic. Yeah, that's good. And I know we've recommended it, you know, you mentioned word of mouth, just to, you know, clients that have you know, bigger teams than ours that are, are struggling with staying on the same page. And it's not just, you know, development teams. I know, you know, some of our clients use it for their sales teams um, for a quick stand up right. and they're not necessarily doing scrum or agile on it. It's just a good, you know, call to action to, Hey, what are you working on? Do you need any help? Um, and you can customize the questions, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the stand up meeting, I know, you know, your audience and, and, my peers and your peers were very familiar with the stand-up meeting because mm -hmm. uh, it's it's in development. But I think it's a type of meeting that really any vertical could use and use well. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time before they learn about it. Um, so yeah, that's that's great. I'm I'm happy you. Uh, thank you for recommending it. There. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you know a lot of the principles of Scrum and Agile can be used you know anywhere really to to just kind of for continuous improvement, to gather feedback. Um, but the stand-up part, I think, is super interesting because it kind of adds a bit of a bit more accountability. Like on a sales team, for example, you might have a monthly sales meeting and that might be your only touch point. Otherwise, you're in the dark the whole time. You know, seeing other people make progress, you making progress, there's kind of this psychological push and pull, um, you know, of, of feeling like you're carrying your weight or um, maybe some pressure, you know, to make sure you're getting done what you need to get done. I think that's kind of built into, you know, something like this. Yeah, we have a lot of teams um, other than development teams and design teams using it, uh, sales teams, like you mentioned. Uh, we have some uh, real estate agents using it, um, some financial um, 
some financial uh, uh, industries using it as well. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's not just for for those two two disciplines. Right. Um, what's the biggest challenge with tattoos so far? How did you the, come over it, or or are you still biggest, working through it? The biggest challenge. Well, I guess there's two two challenges um, because I. Uh, Tetsu does not support full-time development right now. Yep. There's always a, there's always a, an internal struggle with me of uh, getting uh, client work done as well as, as Tetsu. And it's a lot right. of hard work, but, but uh, that's, that's where I want to be. Um, I, I see a, a sh- in a short future where it is full-time, but uh, that's always an internal struggle. But the biggest, probably the biggest struggle for, for me was um, the slack app store um you know i slack reached out to me about a month before they were doing their big announcement last um last december and this was the announcement where they announced the slack app directory mm-hmm. the bot the bot architecture um, and the slack fund which they slack also has a an investment fund um that they're uh investing in, in companies and those three things, so they, they reached out and said, hey, we'd like to invent you this event. Uh, we'd also like to get Tatsu in our new app directory. And uh, I was like, cool. But it couldn't use the technology that I was using, mm-hmm. uh, and which I did not know at the time. So when it launched, um, the day it launched, it was denied from the app, from the app directory because it still used uh, outgoing webhooks. So I had right. to spend some, I actually, I was in San Francisco at the time, and the, I stayed up all night trying to get it to uh, <laughs> to to convert over to the bot, and it was right. a mess. Like it was like six in the morning, and nothing worked. Everything was broken. Oh um, man! And I was like, oh, this is this is ridiculous. So it took me about two weeks to to switch everything over. Uh, it was a lot. It's a lot better space. But that that whole week was probably the those whole two weeks were probably the uh, the biggest stumbling block because it would have been nice to be. Uh, in the app directory at launch, obviously. Right. But, uh, right. So, are there any? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, are there any other bots you're working on, or any any type of uh, other things that you can divulge? Uh, there are. Um, I'm I'm working on a, a bot with a client right now. Um, I don't I don't know if they want me to talk about it, so <laughs> I'm not going, I'm not that's, going to talk about it. Yeah, um, that's fine. And I am working on another uh, another project um another project that involves time and time management mm-hmm. more for personal personal use that has a bot component to it and um that's that i'm building on for that i'm building a whole new um bot kind of infrastructure and um uh, technology stack around uh that that bot based on the things that i learned with tatsu right so um, one of the things I learned is, um, if you want to get technical, uh, yeah, Ruby, Ruby. So I built Tatsu and Ruby, um, and then there's a lot of other bot frameworks. There's a, a really good bot framework called Botkit, and it's built in in Node. And the problem with these these bot frameworks, or actually with JavaScript and Ruby, is is kind of this idea of the process, and that everybody is tied to that process or they're outside of, of a single process and the, the communication between those are, are really hard to do. Mm-hmm. So the, the problem with that is if one bot goes down or if one bot has an issue, they can all go down. 
uh, your whole, your whole, uh, every, every customer that you have can, can kind of experience some issues. So um, I've been learning Elixir and Elixir is kind of, I think the answer to, to that issue and their mm -hmm. OTP um, capabilities where you can spin up processes really cheaply um, and they can talk communicate between each other. So I'm building a, a bot framework on top of, um, on top of Elixir that I think is going to be um, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty neat, pretty easy to get started. Uh, and then I'll, I plan on building other language bridges. Um, for, so if you still want to build it in Ruby or JavaScript, that you can still do that. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the brains of the bot are going to be built in, in Elixir. Right. Yeah, and that's a that's a growing tool too. I've seen quite a bit in the market um, requests for that and that technology. Um, so if, if someone wants to make a bot, where do you recommend they start? You mentioned a bot kit. Um, ah. what's, what do you think is the, you know, the first step for someone interested in, you know, tooling around with, with creating bots? Yeah. Bot kit is a great place to start. Um, if, if you want to build it in node, you can build, you can spin up a, a new bot with, um, there's an example out there, Ben Brown, who's the creator of bot kit, um, has a tweet where it's a hello world for bots and it fits in 140 characters hmm. using botkit. So it's really easy to get started. The documentation is really well done. Um, so if you're going to get started and you want to build it in, in JavaScript and Node, I'd recommend botkit. There's also, like I mentioned earlier, upteen different um, bot conversational frameworks now that can actually build your bot for you. Mm -hmm. Um, with those, you can't really do much besides communicate. You can't, you, it's hard to get data in and out of those. So to have anything that's stateful or um, connecting to other APIs is kind of hard. But if you just want to play around with conversational UIs, those are really good um, places to start. And those are things like API.ai, wit.ai, which Facebook bought. Um, and there's a few other ones uh, as well. There's so many to name. but. Mm -hmm. Um, I would recommend those two spots. Now, if you want to um, play around with Ruby, there's a, a Slack Ruby bot, I think is the name of the gem. And you can just throw that into a Ruby project and get started that way. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those resources. Yeah. And, uh, and also to understand um, that we're still really in the early days. So... It's hard to, um, you just have to understand that. Like your, um, your bot to get it to production ready is probably still gonna take a lot of work mm -hmm. because um, bots can go down all the time. Slack would just kill web connection, WebSocket connections when they want. So your bot has to really recover from a lot of different scenarios. So I would also also recommend that if you're building a bot and you want to push it out into a real world, make sure you do a lot of dog fooding of it. Right. Because um, as developers and and other people, we will try to break it. It's just inevitable. Um, <laughs> so you have to you have to respond to to those different type of scenarios. Yeah. As a bot maker, I'm always interested. Do you um, do you get a like history of what people are saying to your bot? I know. I know when we get frustrated with bots sometimes, you're like, come on, bot, 
Like, yeah. figure this out. Like, do you get a log of that? Is that like, oh, I'm trying to do this? Like, um, you can, but we don't. We don't. We purposely do not log or store mm -hmm. any any conversation that's not directed at the bot, um, just for privacy reasons. Um, right. But it is pretty trivial in Slack to get um, to know what anybody is saying at any given time. Uh, actually, that type of information would help us out in debugging issues and finding issues, um, but we don't due to privacy reasons. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks for going into that. Um, I think you know you were also a co-founder of a brick and mortar um, business, a co-working space in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I think that's something that you've since. Um, moved on from, but, you know, how was yeah. that experience and kind of trying to build up the ecosystem of startups? Yeah, so um, back in 2010, I think it was, maybe uh, even earlier than that, I sent out a tweet saying, hey, I want to open a co-working space in Toledo. And um, a colleague of mine who I, who I knew of, but I didn't really know, said, hey, I wanna, I'm trying to do the same thing. So we got together, and it took us about <clears throat> two years to to do a few things. Um, the biggest thing with co-working spaces, it's not really about brick and mortar, it's more about the community. Mm -hmm. So everybody's, I've heard from hundreds of people saying, hey, I wanna start a co-working space, how do you start a co-working space? Well, the biggest thing is you have to have the community, you have to have yep. the people around it. You can't just open up a co-working space, buy a building and hope that people come to it. <laughs> um, right. Or else you'll fail. So. It took us about two years to, while we were looking for the space, to also make sure that we had the community behind us. So we each had our own communities. Um, people were interested. We found the minimum number of people that we needed. Uh, we started meeting with them at coffee shops and uh, Paneras just to work together. Yep, just kind of build and, that, that rapport with right, them. Right. And, um, and so the actual opening of the brick and mortar place uh, it, like I said, it took us about two years to find the right location. We knew that we wanted it to be downtown Toledo, um, although we did search other areas because everybody kept on saying, oh, I don't want downtown, I don't want downtown. And the biggest problem with downtown Toledo is the parking, and everybody's afraid of it until they actually <laughs> have to deal with it. It's not, it's not that bad at all. But um, luckily, we found the right partner. We were close to other places, opening it in other places, and I'm kind of glad that those fell through because our landlord that we have now is, is a really understanding person. He understands what it does to not only that business, but the surrounding businesses as well, because now you have people going in and out, mm -hmm. they're coming downtown, they're eating, they're drinking, they're staying there. Um, so, the, but the actual opening of the uh, brick and mortar business was pretty simple. We, we, we found a landlord, he gave, it was an it was empty building just walls and, and some poles, and uh, he gave us a budget, and we just had to work within that budget. He built it out, and um, of course, with some, you know, that was part of our monthly right. monthly rent. Um, but yeah, it went pretty smooth. We did a Kickstarter to kind of do two things to validate that the community, other than our, our inner circle, um, found out about co-working and what it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, it helped us pur purchase the furniture, so we didn't have to spend about 15 grand of our own money 
to do that. And then as well, validated that people that said that they were interested in co-working would put their money where their mouth was. So they, <laughs> right. would actually, they would actually spend, pay for it. Right, so, revenue, <laughs> revenue is good. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, we have a couple co-working spaces. I think we have just have one actually in Green Bay, but some in the area. Um, but I think, you know, it's always interesting to go into like Chicago and San Francisco and bigger mm-hmm. tech areas and see just the buzz in the co-working space and, and the type of, you know, like you said, the value is in the community. Like a space without people is just a building. <laughs> exactly, so, exactly. It, you know, it's really cool and, and really kind of envy, you know, what they have at like 1871 in Chicago and and how yeah, you know how do we build 1871 is crazy yeah <laughs> yeah you have this long i don't know if any listeners have been there but there's this long 200 yard uh hallway you have to walk down to get to it and you wonder is this the right place <laughs> yeah but it's, it's just buzzing with people obviously chicago's a different market than toledo a little right. bit bigger um but uh it, it has improved toledo as far as like it's kind of considered one of the tech hubs. So people that want to either get into the tech industry or want to invest or uh, want questions answered, it, they mm-hmm. kind of, they all kind of talk about seed. So I, I'm happy to, I'm happy that that's what has happened. And that was one of, one of our goals. Yeah. Do you guys have any, um, I know some um, co-working spaces sometimes do like, yeah, like VCs or mentors and residents, um, do you guys do any of that, or is it more just the space at this moment? Yeah, there are um, there there are people trying to start those up. So venture funding in Toledo is probably what you imagine it is. It's not really much um, yet, but there are people that are trying to start up um, groups to help um, companies get off the ground, um, to have mentors, um, whether that's financial, um, tech, design, um, entrepreneurial. Um, we're trying to, to create a group um, of some free services. And then there's a, there's a lot of uh, seed members that are getting, uh, there's a program by the government called Tech Hire <laughs> where they provide funding and um, outside, outside resources. And so there's a group trying to get Toledo on that list that are that are seed members so that's really interesting hmm. um, so yeah, yeah there's a lot cool. of uh it's it's not as big as 1871 but it is it is um kind of getting its start uh it has been you know it's been a work in progress for two or so years so it's it's and it's kind of coming to fruition now so good that's exciting is that where you're right now recording I am not. I have a <laughs> so, uh, like you mentioned, um, last year our three-year lease was up, and I wanted to concentrate on Tetsu and some other software projects. So um, I actually got out of being a partner at Seed, and we found a third partner um, that kind of took over, mm-hmm. and and to kind of take over my 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 space. And my other two partners at the time are still still going. So, and then I got a. a an office near Seed, so I kind of switched between Seed and, and my, my office. Um, what I found actually with co-working is that if you do too much co-working, in my opinion, um, it's, it can be really distracting and I mm-hmm. don't get as much work done. So there's days when I want to hang out and be around people, and then there's days when I just wanna you know, have my head down and do work. 
Yeah. And so those are why I kind of have those two different spaces. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of us in the tech industry can relate to that. There's days where maybe it's more lighter work and days where it's deeper work. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, where you really have to think and, and focus. Um, yep. Was, so it sounds like, you you know, you guys did a lot of the validation stuff. You did, you know, pre-orders, you um, sold, you kind of gauged on revenue, um, you know, in order to build it. You had your goals, obviously. Um, is there anything that you would do differently if you started from scratch, like you started up today in, in Toledo and wanted to do a co-working space? Anything you look back on and, and think like, I wish we could have done this differently. Um, not really different. I, I would have probably put, I was, when I first opened Seed, I was totally against private offices, um, just due to the community aspect. Like, mm -hmm. co-working is supposed to be co-working. It's not supposed to be a bunch of private offices. But there are times when, you, like, I, like I just mentioned, the reason I have a private office is because I want to get away. Now, there are spaces at Seed to do that, um, but I would would have liked to see maybe a few more of those spaces being built. I don't think we had the room, but um, I would have liked to see a few of those other spaces. And besides that, there was a lot of things that we planned on doing that we just didn't get to. Right. So we wanted to um, we wanted to work with other companies, local companies, and I think this is a great idea. And Seed's still going to do it. Um, where, if let's say you work, you know, at a company, and you go to that company every single day, well. In order to get the creative juices flowing, you, your creative, your creativity is not just, you know, happen at your desk at your office. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, it probably never happens or rarely happens there. It's when you're walking around. It's it's when you're in the shower. It's when you know, when you have this time to think. So I think co-working has a co-working spaces have a great opportunity to reach out to other businesses and say, hey, this is like a third place for you to come to be around other creative people mm -hmm. and to get out of the office one day a week or two days a week or whatever you want to do and um, I would have liked to see us um, kind of head up that initiative a little bit more yeah that's, um, a, that's a good idea yeah and and they're still working on it but uh, it's something I would have liked to see why I was there mm -hmm. so if you're in Toledo or the area passing through hit up yes. Jamie go to seed check it out um, yes. Yes. where can, where can people find you, follow you and, and get more details about what you're best, up to? The best way is on Twitter. I, uh, tweet, I toot a lot, um, at Jay Wright. And, uh, that's probably the best way to just reach out and then we'll probably move it over to email or whatever. But, um, also my, my, um, consulting is at brilliantfantastic.com, which is a, another way to uh, reach out to me if you want to email me. Mm -hmm. And then Tatsu is at Tatsu underscore IO. Underscore IO. Yep. Yeah. Um, or Tatsu.io is, is, the, is the website. And uh, if you want uh, to get an additional month free, uh, so there's a 14-day trial. If you want to get an additional month free, you can put in uh, Tatsu.io slash Seaworthy, and that'll give you um, another 30 days free to check out Tatsu. No, very cool. Yeah, thanks for extending that discount. Uh, thanks for being on the show. It was great chatting about bots, uh, Babs, bots thanks. as a business. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Andrew. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me. It was a blast, man. Thanks for listening to Seaworthy. Connect with us on Twitter at SeaworthyFM. And make sure to subscribe, ask questions, and leave feedback on the Remarks app. 
We'll see you again in two weeks.